This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thanks for joining us. I'm Douglas Simpoga, and here's what's coming up. Suffice to say that our efforts are also being hampered by the effects of the rains themselves. Because, as I said, the rains are still falling. That's Peter Kalaya, a spokesperson for Malawi Police Service on rescue efforts to help victims of Cyclone Freddy that are being that are being hampered by continuing rain. Also, gunmen kill at least 35 people in two attacks in northern Nigeria. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in Ethiopia this week, and Tunisia's parliament meets for the first time since it was closed in 2021. All this and more coming up on African News tonight. Malawi has diverted flights and suspended schools in the southern districts due to Cyclone Freddy, which authorities say has killed at least 40 people, according to the country's disaster management agency. The long-lasting tropical storm, now active for more than a month, previously hit Madagascar and Mozambique, and this week is expected to pass over parts of Zambia and Zimbabwe. Lameka Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Cyclone Friday hit Malawi on Friday and has so far caused damage in at least 10 districts in the country's south. The government in Lilongwe has suspended schools in southern Malawi until further notice. In Blanta, authorities suspended flights at the Chileka International Airport for much of Sunday and Monday. Peter Galaya is a spokesman for Malawi's police service. Our officers have been deployed to rescue and provide other services uh, to people who need rescuing. And uh, we are uh, almost in each of the districts because we also have uh, police stations in these districts. Suffice to say that our efforts are also being hampered by the effects of the rains themselves. Because as I said, uh, the rains are still falling. Galaya said the death toll will likely rise as they expect reports from nine other affected districts. Chibiri Lokamula is the spokesman for Malawi's Department of Disaster Preparedness. He told VOA Monday rescue efforts were underway by police, the military, and the Malawi Red Cross. We've also set a national emergency operations center in Limbi uh, to facilitate coordination of preparedness interventions. Again, we have also stockpiled uh, some relief items at the, the maintenance staging area in Bangola, at our Blantyre warehouse, and also some districts for effective and, of course, efficient provision of uh, relief items in most of the areas. Yobu Kachiwanda is the spokesperson for the Malawi's Meteorological Department. He says the cyclone has started to weaken and is expected to leave Malawi soon. The projections are still there in the next 24 to 48 hours, and we may, of course, go back in the Mozambique as we go towards the midweek into the weekend. Cyclone Friday first appeared more than a month ago and is believed to be the longest lasting storm in the region for the past 20 years. Since February, the cyclone has left scores of people dead across Madagascar and twice hit Mozambique. The storm is expected to hit parts of Zambia and Zimbabwe this week. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. 
Human rights groups have called on Nigerian authorities to end sectarian attacks that left at least 35 people dead in northern areas over the weekend. Timothy Biezu reports from Abuja. Amnesty International is among human rights groups condemning the recent attacks in Nigeria and calling for accountability. In a statement Sunday, the group urged authorities to, quote, immediately and decisively end incessant attacks by gunmen on communities in southern Kaduna, end quote. Kaduna is a state in northern Nigeria. Armed men on Saturday night invaded Angwan Wakili village in the local district of Zangon Kataf and killed 15 people, most of them women and children. For many years, the region has suffered from violence involving local farmers and herders, causing thousands of deaths. Amnesty International said 366 people were killed there between January and July of 2020. Aminu Hayatu is Amnesty International's spokesperson. Authorities are not uh, are living up to their expect- the expectation that uh, they bring perpetrators to justice and uh, conduct investigations uh, on, on those uh, issues. The fact that uh, these uh, kind of killings have been going on for quite some time, uh, it is quite unacceptable. Kaduna State Police authorities say they are looking into the attack but say initial findings show it could be a reprisal for the killing of a herder who was tending to his animals a few days earlier. Police spokesman Mohamed Jalige did not immediately respond to calls for comment. Hayatu says authorities have been investigating for too long without taking action. The position of uh, the Kaduna State government has been that uh, investigations are going on. And we haven't seen a single day when, uh, you know, it has been, the public has been informed of the findings of the so-called investigations that have been claimed to be going on by the Kaduna State Government. And this is a, really a cause for worry because uh, it, 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 it emboldens the perpetrators. Nigeria has been battling a range of security challenges, including insurgency, kidnappings and communal clashes. In a separate attack on Saturday, gunmen killed 20 people in northwest Katsina State, according to police. Isa Gambo is a spokesperson for the Katsina State Police. He says authorities have restored calm in the affected areas and are keeping watch. They came all along uh, from uh, Zamfara State on motorbikes uh, into Katsina State. Uh, Although uh, there was a uh, steep resistance from members of the community because the police, military and other security agencies were mobilized. In fact, even the, the aircraft also went for a rescue mission, but uh, unfortunately uh, they killed 20 members of the community and uh, so many persons were injured also. Millions of Nigerians went to the polls to elect a new president last month as outgoing President Muhammad Buhari's eight-year tenure comes to an end, many hope his successor can do something to rein in on the chronic violence and insecurity. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. A UN Security Council delegation ended its three-day visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo yesterday. In Goma, the North Kivu provincial capital, it called for negotiations to end violence between the M23 rebels and the army. 
as soon as it arrived in the large eastern city, the delegation visited the Bushagara campsite in Nyirangongo territory north of Goma, where it met displaced people who have taken up residence there. Reporter Zanem Net Zaid has more from Goma. We are in the Bushagara campsite where the Security Council delegation visited the displaced. Those living here, like Angel Burengo, say they want an end to the fighting so they can go back home. She says, in general, they are in a difficult situation in Bushagara. They have never received any help, but when they heard about the coming of the delegation, they hoped for the return of peace to the country and humanitarian assistance. Civil society groups in North Kivu say that this war can end if the international community is more forceful and demanding with Rwanda who they accuse of supporting the M23. Placid Nzilamba is a spokesperson with the Savile Society in North Kivu. He says they want the Security Council to demand that Rwanda withdraw its soldier from Congolese soil and that Kigali organize a dialogue with the FDLR. It is an approach they took in South Sudan where the warring parties spoke to each other. Savile Society North Kivu want the same for the DRC. He asks why the Security Council does not ask the same of Rwanda. The UN Security Council delegation assured them that the UN is concerned about what is happening in the DRC. It has insisted on the withdrawal of the M23 rebels and the laying down of arms by other armed groups. Nicolas de Rivière is France's permanent representative to the UN. He says, faced with the situation, they affirm that the United Nations is present and that the DRC is not alone. They are there to help. He says the sovereignty of the country is not negotiable and that the United Nations and other partners will mobilize to preserve its territorial integrity. All groups must lay down their arms and the M23 must withdraw. After bombing several quarters of the city of Sake in North Kivu, the rebels announced that they would respect the ceasefire and withdraw from the villages they control in favor of the East African Community's regional forces. Observers say they are still waiting for the M23 to withdraw. For VOA Africa, Amzanem Netizaidi in Goma. Tunisia's parliament is meeting today for the first time since it was closed and reformed in 2021. According to the Associated Press, the legislature will elect a new speaker, succeed the leader of the Islamist movement, Ahmada, which had the largest number of members in the last parliament. The AP says only state broadcasters and the state news agency were allowed to cover the opening session. Other reporters protested outside.
The new legislature, which was modified under President Kais Said, has less power than the previous version and fewer members. Most political parties boycotted the elections, which had a turnout of only 11%. Said continues to crack down on opposition groups, independent media, and migrants from sub-Saharan Africa. You are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken will travel to Ethiopia this week to advance a fragile peace process, the State Department said Friday. Secretary Blinken will also pay the first visit by a top U.S. diplomat to Niger to discuss security cooperation in the Sahel. Blinken will hold talks Wednesday and Thursday in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa with officials, civil society, and humanitarian groups on the November 2nd deal that halted the two-year war that has killed more people than Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Vice President Kamala Harris also plans to travel to Africa at the end of March. Harris office says the trip will take her to Ghana, Tanzania, and Gambia. For more on the significance of these high-profile visits to Africa, I reached Piokule Mnyandu of the Department of African Studies at Howard University. I wouldn't say it's renewed interest. I would say it's an intensification of an interest that's always been there, but right but it has become actually more comprehensive. Why has it become, how has it become more comprehensive? Well, if you think about it, just today, I think for the next three days, the Assistant Secretary of State, um, Setterfield for for Education and Cultural Affairs, will be in South Africa. And as you're saying, uh, in a matter of days, on the same continent will be the Secretary of State. So it shows that um, the, the U.S. diplomacy has, uh, has intensified to a, a point where it's diverse, it's multifaceted, and it takes into consideration certain core issues that are also from the African side. The, earlier, the, the first lady was in Africa, in Kenya and Zambia. Uh, Janet Yellen, the, the Treasury Secretary, was in Africa too earlier on this year. The Vice President will be traveling to Africa end of the month. This seems to be intense. Yes, it is. I would say it's been a flurry of activity, actually, in the last year. Yeah, as you're saying, let's look at it. Earlier last month, we had um, the uh, First Lady go to Namibia and Kenya. Uh, in February, we had um, Secretary, um, Treasury Secretary Yellen um, go to Zambia, um, amongst other, uh, Zambia, South Africa, and Senegal, I would say. Then um, even earlier, uh, we had uh, Secretary of State in 2021 go to Kenya, Nigeria, Senegal. So in a matter of months, we've seen various U.S. officials as part of this comprehensive, multifaceted intensification of diplomacy. I call it hybrid diplomacy. In other words, it marshals all the assets of um, the U.S. government and by basically um, involving as many um, U.S. government officials as possible in the cause of U.S. diplomacy. And this is a good thing. Do you read anything in the selection of the countries that are being visited? 
of course, we can speculate on these things. Um, there are a lot of things that are taking place right now. I, I would say uh, South Africa will always feature broadly in the list of countries that are visited. But I would say the last time, uh, the last visit by the Secretary of State, he did uh, make it to South Africa. He did not this time. Well, some people, uh, he's not making it there this time. But guess what? The uh, Secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary did make it to South Africa. And indeed, uh, we are having an Assistant uh, Secretary of State in South Africa today. So one, South Africa is still a, quite a very important partner for the U.S., both in diplomacy and just of, uh, for bilateral reasons. The other countries, of course, it's a, um, I call this putting out fires type of visit. The one we might say, uh, some people might be mad at this, but it's uh, in Ethiopia. There is, a, unfortunately, a conflict situation taking place there. So this, and then this visit to Kigali and Kinshasa, it's kind of putting out fires in very, very dynamic and unfortunate um, situations that affect human security. That was Piwokole Mnyando of the Department of African Studies at Howard University. He spoke with me from Washington. Opposition parties in Cameroon have accused the ruling party of vote buying in Sunday's Senate elections. Early results show the Cameroonian People's Democratic Movement winning all 70 seats in the poll, which 10 opposition parties contested. Moki Edwin Kinzikam reports from Yaoundé. Supporters of the Cameroon People's Democratic Movement, CPDM, sing and celebrate on the streets of Yaoundé that they are winners of the March 12 Senate elections. The CPDM is the party of Cameroon's long-serving leader, 90-year-old Paul Bia. Local media, including state broadcaster CRTV, report that similar celebrations took place in at least nine other towns. Early results from ELECAM, the elections management body, indicate that the CPDM won all 70 seats in Sunday's vote. ELECAM says the elections involving 15,000 designated members of the Senate Electoral College were free of glitches across the Central African state. Voters in the restive western regions defied separatist threats and carried out their duties, the body says. Opposition parties say the elections were marred by irregularities. Denise Emilian Atangana is a candidate of the Front de Democrate du Cameroon, or FDC. C'est une honte pour l'image de notre pays. Atangana says it was scandalous for the ruling CPDM party to hire bosses to transport all municipal and regional councillors who constitute the electoral college to polling stations. He says the CPDM used threats, bullying and vote buying to deprive voters of their freedom to make democratic choices. He says while in the bosses, Officials of the CPDM distributed money and threatened to punish voters who refused the bribe. Atangana said opposition political parties will file petitions with the Constitutional Council to cancel the vote. He said the government and ruling CPDM suffocate democracy by wanting to occupy all elected and appointed government positions. Atangana alleges the polls were marred by low turnout and violence. 
The opposition says many voters in the volatile northwest and southwest regions did not vote due to threats from separatists who vowed to disrupt the process. Separatists on social media, including WhatsApp and Facebook, say they stopped many electors from voting. About 15,000 councillors in 60 divisions across Cameroon make up the Electoral College. Elecam says more than 97% of electors performed their voting rights. The government says it protected all voters and candidates throughout the process. The Territorial Administration Minister Paul Atanganji says the government did not report irregularities that could jeopardize the outcome of the polls. More than 3,000 national and international observers were accredited by the Ministry of Territorial Administration. They travel across the country and we hope that they will produce objective reports on the conduct of this election, which in our opinion was free, transparent and credible. As for now, no major incident has been reported in any of the 58 divisions of the country. The Senate, or Upper House of Parliament, has 100 seats. 70 are elected by the councillors. The other 30 will be appointed by President Bia, who has the power to select opposition members as senators. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. President Mukwesi Masisi, who last month indicated that Botswana is ready to walk away from a long-standing diamond deal with the Beers, has revealed his country wants a larger location of the stones. Botswana currently gets 25% of diamonds mined in a joint venture with the Beers. From Habarone, Botswana, reporter Mukundusi Dube has the details. Addressing journalists in Habarone yesterday, Masisi said it was time to review the relationship with the Beers. We have this arrangement, Lady Bears, which historically they were, we gave them 100% of all diamond mines to sell for us, 100%. So the Botswana government denied itself by agreement the opportunity to sell and market those. So the skills for selling and marketing, knowing the market, knowing what the economy could be like there, we didn't participate in that. He said the deal made sense when the initial agreement was signed 54 years ago, but that Botswana understands the diamond market better now. It does not make sense for us to continue to relegate ourselves to participating in the rough stones space only. Because if you look at the quantum of business in that space, it's very small relative to the size of business in the value added. It's only logical. Masisi says the country's negotiators will ensure the government gets an increased allocation of diamonds, demanding an improvement from the current 25% of all gems mined under the joint project with TBS. But because we're at the negotiating table and because we have learned some new things, we want more for the Botswana government. And we're going to get more for the Botswana government, the allocation of rough diamonds. DBS chief executive Al Cook met with Masisi this morning. It's very clear that front and foremost in the president's mind is the interests of the Botswana people in the long term as Botswana goes to become a leading technology, knowledge-based economy. And we as DBS want to play our role in a strong 
strategic partnership with that. And I'm very, very confident that this partnership will go forward in a very good way. Botswana is the world's second largest producer of diamonds by value, with the stones accounting for up to 90% of the country's export earnings. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Havroni, Botswana. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpogo in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokpi Yoboro, and our engineer, Cornelius Tena, thanks very much for choosing the Voice of America.